We're actually talking about baptism first. And the reason we're talking about baptism first is because baptism usually is the beginning of your walk in the, in the, in the work of, of, of the church, you know? So it sort of precedes fellowship in, that, in, the, in the biblical sense. I mean, I know some people go to church for many, many years and then they decide to get baptized, but that's not the way it used to be. In the, in the, in the biblical context, is that you got baptized and then you were in the fellowship. It was like the introduction to the fellowship. So discipleship is one believer showing another believer how to live the Christian life. It's more than just telling them a certain amount of information, and we're going to be dealing with information today to a certain extent, but it's more than telling them information, it's showing them how, by your actions and by your way of life, that there is a different way of life that Jesus wants you to live. And really in our society today, that is so, so important, because the way that people are living today really needs to be addressed. And the way that you address it is not tell people, with your pointed finger, that's what you should be doing. The way you address it is you leave the difference in front of them and they look and they see the difference and they say, well, that's so different, you know. Why, are, why do you have the faith that you have? And they ask the question because they see the difference. So we're, we're talking about empowering you to live differently. And these, these lessons that we're going through on, a, on a, a simple basis are going to give you some ideas on how to live differently as well as give you some information so today we're going to be talking about baptism and fellowship they're the two that we're going to talk about today and we're going to try and get them through before it gets to uh, 10 o'clock so I'm going to try and keep it down uh, and move fairly quickly today so keep your mind on the on the exercise if you get distracted uh, if you see your neighbor get distracted turn to your neighbor look at them Turn to the neighbor beside you, look at them, get their eye contact. You say, watch it, I'm watching you. If you go to sleep while Mark is speaking, I am going to punch you in the side. So there are four reasons why you're the best disciple that's ever faced the earth. And this is the four reasons. You've committed your life to the person of Jesus Christ, which means that you have a friendship with Jesus. And there's those aspects of friendship that you've studied before, intimacy and proximity and self-disclosure, and those things are all happening in your walk with Jesus. You are in a relationship with your friend Jesus, and your friend Jesus is in a relationship with you, and you are walking with him. And when he says to you, this is what I want you to do, and this is how I want you, you are loyal to him, you are faithful to him. When somebody says, you know, you want to follow the dark side, not the light, you know, you are faithful to the Lord Jesus because Jesus is the one who's guiding you. You are obedient to his directive, so when he speaks to you, you say, yeah, I hear you, I can feel the Holy Spirit speaking to me, and I'm going to obey him, I'm going to obey what he's telling me to do. You've accepted the obligation to suffer. You know it's not going to be a smooth road. You know that this is not going to be easy. You know that if you stand up in a world that hates God and says there is no God and you say there is a God and I have a relationship with, they're going to actually sign a paper and say, you know, you are nuts. You know, one of the criteria for insanity is, do you speak to God? And if you tick that box, then the next question is, does he talk back to you? and you tick that box, then you've just certified yourself you're insane. 
Such is the world. So don't expect to get along really nicely with the world because the world hates God, it, hates, it loves the devil, it hates the, hates the Lord and you're not going to get a smooth ride in the world. You're going to get some flack and some stick. It's going to come at you. So you've, you've committed yourself to Jesus, you're mates with Jesus, you talk to him, you, you really want to do what he says and you know it's going to cause you some pain. So that's okay. Everybody turn to the neighbor and say, it's okay to suffer a bit. Help me when I'm suffering a lot. Yeah, that's it. And so you're partners with Jesus too. So, I mean, it's just not sitting there and saying, oh, well, it's nice to come to church. You're actually involved with Jesus. Jesus got a job to do, and you're one of his workmen. You're one of his persons that are going to work for Jesus. You're, you're involved with the whole exercise. And so through, through repentance and faith in Jesus, you become part of his, the family of God. God called you by his spirit. He cleansed you with his word and he set you apart by the Holy Spirit. So you now have a, a position, you have an on your identity, you have, you have something that the rest of the world doesn't have. You have a purpose for living and you have a meaning for your whole life, which is fantastic. There's a significance about your life. You're important. When Esther was told by Mordecai, maybe you've been bought for the kingdom for such a time as this. I'm saying to you today, you have been bought, you, you possess this part of history right now because God ordained that you should be born in this day because you have a job to do for him. Amen? It's the truth. I know it gets hard sometimes and I know you're in pain sometimes and I know you have gone through lots and lots of struggles and lots and lots of suffering, but I tell you this much, everything that you have gone through is part of the little picture that God's putting together so you can be a voice to those who don't know him. It's all part of it. Remember that. Remember that. God called you here for a purpose and you have a purpose when you follow Jesus. It's true coffee. You have a purpose when you follow Jesus. Amen? Okay, salvation is the work of the Holy Spirit. I want, you, I want you to understand that. So some people think that, you know, we can come to God and we can call out to God and it will be, you know, went on my terms. Well, that's not really the way it is. The Bible tells us in John that you didn't choose him, but he chose you and appointed you to go. So the Holy Spirit, it's called preemptive grace or prevenient grace. That before you even switched on to God, Phil, God was switched on to you. He was watching you and he was setting the pattern so that he could get to you, so he could change your life. And before you even were moving towards God, you had your own little world that you lived in. He was moving towards you and working his situation towards you to change you, to get you to a place where he could get you. And you didn't choose him. He chose you well before you turned to him. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in John chapter 16 that the Holy Spirit, he is there to convict of sin and of judgment and of righteousness so he's going to tell you you know he's going to let you know when you're doing the wrong thing he's going to let you know when you there's a right path to live and he lets to know that if you don't choose the right path there's a judgment coming that's the work of the holy spirit the holy spirit does that to all of our lives he brings us to a place where we can exercise change the conviction that he brings into our lives results in a choice being presented to us that's where we get involved. So before anything else, God says, you have a choice now. He brings you to the place where the Holy Spirit, he begins to work on you and you're brought to a place and he says, your choice is to repent. Well, that's 
Simple word. You're heading this way. Repent means to change your direction and to go in the opposite direction. That's all it means. Change. Everybody say change. Turn to your neighbor and say change. Change is essential, say to them. You better start changing. Tell them you better start changing. God wants you to change. Yes, you tell them they're good. Now, we want to see some changes taking place for the good, not for the bad. Changes for the good. But you know, you can't change unless that change is given to you. The Bible says that the gift of repentance or change is given to you by God. God gives them the gift of repentance so that they can turn around. So even that's coming from the Holy Spirit. Even that's coming from God. And you can't express faith toward God unless God gives you the faith to express it toward God. So even that's coming from God. The only thing you have to do is agree with God. Agree with Him. I agree that I need to change. So I'll turn. I agree that I need a new focus in my life. So I begin to walk in faith with Jesus. You see, the Holy Spirit brings you salvation. It says all you have to do is agree. It's like this train is going toward heaven. And he says, all you have to do is jump on. Jump on board now. Leave where you're going because you're going somewhere down. Jump on board and come with us. That's all you have to do. And then he gives you those choices. And you get the first choice in your whole life when the Holy Spirit pursues you and gives you that choice. You can't change unless the Holy Spirit gives you the opportunity to change. You are locked down and you are held down unless the Holy Spirit gives you the opportunity to repent and the opportunity. Now, he wants all people to come to Jesus, so he's going to give you that opportunity. Just listen to this, what it says in Hebrews. It says, do not harden your heart when you hear his voice. Because you're going, oh, don't talk to me today. I'm too busy going to play my games. And he says, well, I might not come back tomorrow to knock on your door. And if I don't come back to knock on your door, you chose for the last time because I'm not coming back by this way any longer. And that's what the Bible says. He has the right to do that, to move away from you and say, you don't get a second chance. God is long-suffering and he's very, and I don't want to leave you with that and say, oh, well, that's terrible. God's maybe left you. No, if you're sitting here today and you feel a sense of conscience, he hasn't left you because your conscience is still there and it's still speaking to you and he's still speaking to your conscience, so you still have room. And everybody who senses that, that's good, hey. I mean, if you weren't thinking that you had time with Jesus and that you're to, you wouldn't be here now, you'd be somewhere else. Believe me, you'd be somewhere else. So what happens when you make that right choice? The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 14, it says, For as the body is one and there are many members, but all the members of the body, one body being many, are one body so also in Christ. He says, For by one spirit you were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks or Africans or Australians or slaves or free or rich or poor, having been made to drink of that one spirit. So he says, once you've brought to that place of salvation by the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit's put the choices in front of you and you've chosen God, you've chosen in response to the Holy Spirit's work, he then takes you and he baptizes you into the church. Now that's not water baptism. That's the Holy Spirit taking you. Take somebody like uh, Quinton, 
and says, well, Quentin, you gave your heart to me now. You're my man. I'm your God. I'm going to put you in to the fellowship of believers. And he takes you from where you were and he puts you into it. It's a spiritual, spiritual placing of you into the body of Christ. So everybody who believes in Jesus Christ has been placed into the church. How big is the church? Is it as big as this room? It's huge, isn't it? And how many countries is the church belong to? Oh, so he's talking about a church that's humongous. He's talking about a church that started in, 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 in Acts and it's now going to complete itself when Jesus comes back again. That's the, that's the season of the church and that's where you've been placed. And this huge number of people you've been placed in there. And you've been placed in a local fellowship, which is part of that big fellowship of believers. Amen? So that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit into the church. So the Holy Spirit gave you the ability to repent. He gave you the faith to follow Jesus. He baptized you into the fellowship of believers. And he lives with you to empower you, to fill you with his Holy Spirit so you have power to move out and do the things of God. And that's the work to make you disciples. That's what he wants to do. He wants to make you a disciple. Why did he do all that? Because you're important at the end of the exercise? You know, I don't want to be disrespectful, but you're not that important. God's purpose is that you get along with the program and that you become the part of the solution, not part of the problem. And that your life is meant to connect with him and you're meant to do the work that he's calling you to do so that you become what he wants you to be. You do what he wants you to do. And so his purposes and his program and his work becomes the thing that's... It's not about you. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's really not about you. All oh, right, okay. I don't think that you're convinced. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, get this one. Get this one. It isn't about you. It's all about God. It's what God wants, not what you want. <laughs> You've got to get that into your head. Otherwise, you're, you're running around and you're thinking everything's got to come. You, you get this entitlement thing happening that it's all for me. Everything's going to come for me. And you're the center of the whole universe. I've got some rude awakening for you. The center of the universe is not you and God or this church does not revolve around you, nor does God revolve around you. It is not about you. The center of all things is him. Jesus is the middle. He's the center of all things and everything revolves around him. You revolve around him and because you're part of this church, this church revolves around him and all the churches of all the nations revolve around him. In the end of the exercise, he is the center of all things. Amen. It's not about you. (laughs) You think that one through because it's going to come and hit you one day and bite you one day because you're going to come and say, oh, what about me? And he's going to say, well, you know, I told you already it's not about you. It's about me. (laughs) Matthew chapter 18 verses, uh, oh, sorry, Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 to twenty. Jesus gave this. Now, this is when he was departing. Remember, he's, he's gone up and he, he says, I'm going now. And, and his disciples come to see him off. He's just about to take off into the heavens. And he says these words to him. And Jesus came and he spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. That's what he accomplished at the cross. He took the authority there at the cross. He now was the Lord of all and controller of all things. He said, then he commissions them. He says, 
go home, sit in your house, and I'll come and serve you later. Oh, it doesn't say that? All right, that's because it's not about us. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, that means hey. Everybody say hey. Hey, I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. So he's saying, hey, listen, I'm not going anywhere. I'm coming by the Holy Spirit and I'll be with you right to the end of the age. Doesn't matter how long you live, doesn't matter how short you live, I'm going to be there the whole time. I'm not leaving you alone. I'm with you. Amen? So don't we now have to pray, God, Jesus, be with us. You don't need to pray that, Jesus, be with you. You need to say, thank you for being here with us now, in the midst of our troubles, in the midst of our problems. You know, if I can believe you, what? Amazing, you said, I, no, I don't want to say if it's possible because I know all things are possible to you and you're here with me now and I'm not going to get upset about it. I'm not going to say, oh, why are you looking after me? I'm just going to say, you know, I'm casting my care on you, Jesus. I'm just saying to you, Jesus, I need $120. I need $120. You just, that's, I'm yours. It's not about me. It's all about you. You're able. Yeah, I know. I, I fixed it up some time ago for you. Before you even thought to ask that prayer, I fixed it up some time ago. I'm on the job. Don't worry about it. I'm in control. The Bible says he works all things to the counsel of his will. He is the center of all things. Amen? And so the first three steps of obedience, these are quite simple. One, you have to, when the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, Cut it out. Stop doing this. You have to say, yes, I'm repenting and turn the other way and stop doing what you were doing. The, the Holy Spirit spoke to you after 46 years of smoking cigarettes, Quentin. He says, cut it out, Quentin. Yep, I hear that. I stop and you walked away from me. Like that. Just like that. I think, well, great. Isn't that fabulous? That's the first step, repentance. When God speaks to you, you turn around and say, I'm going to obey. The second is the confession of faith. And that goes like if we can... Look, the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to believe that Christ is Lord, that he died, that he rose again, and your mouth says, you're Lord Jesus. You're the controller. You live, you're the controller of my life by your Holy Spirit. You live with me. And so the second step of obedience is making that confession. I, I confess that you're the Lord of my life. I'm going to walk with you. The first is to turn away from your sin. The second is to confess that you're going to follow the Lord Jesus. And the third, he says, get baptized. Get baptized in water. Well, why would he, why would he ask us to do something like getting baptized in water? I mean, some people say, well, you know, I can give or take that. The, the, the thief on the cross never got baptized. Well, he couldn't really, could he? It was kind of nailed somewhere on the cross. He, couldn't really, he was going to be dead before they could get off the cross. But if he had gotten off the cross... He would have had to get baptized. But he got baptized by death first before he got off the cross. This is a simple thing. If Jesus said it, we need to do it. That's it. That's it. Bottom line, the Lord said it, let's do it. Amen. So turn to the neighbor and say, if the Lord said it, let's do it. All right. Okay, your neighbor heard you say that. So if you haven't been baptized, you're kind of stuck now. If the Lord said it, let's do it. Okay, before you do something like baptism, let's just try and understand what it is, okay? 
So this is what baptism is. Baptism is an outward act. But water baptism is a public outward declaration that reflects the personal inward faith. So the act of baptism is something that you do outwardly that shows something that's taking place inwardly. It associates the believer with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and signifies the believer's death to the old life and her, or his resurrection to the new creation in Christ. So this whole act of baptism is like a, an act of, come here, you're gonna, you're gonna work, you sit at the front, I'm going to spit on you and you're going to work at me, work with me. Hey, hey. You, don't, you know why the front seats are empty, don't you? I spit. All right. So we, this is like a little thing. So when, you, when you're going into the water in baptism and they say, you know, you, you're, you're on, it's on the confession of your faith, you put, you put your hand like that so you, and you hold your nose because you might get water up your nose, something like that. And then we take them down. You can go down. Well, you can bend in the middle, please. I'm not that strong. Bend in the middle. Sit on the chair. Okay, yeah, just sit on yeah. Now they're under the water, and depending on how bad you've been, we hold you there for that long, you know? So <laughs> Quinn had been really, really bad for a long, long time, so we're going to hold him right down there until he can't, he can't breathe anymore. We want to make sure that he's dead to the old life. And then when he's just about, and he's got to be completely dead, we're going to bring him up and he's going to go, <laughs> something like that, because that's the new life. It's a picture of what happens with Jesus. It doesn't actually happen when he is being baptized. It's a picture of something that happened at conversion. You understand that? When you ask Jesus, immediately he takes the old away. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And he says, that's removed. And he gives us a brand new life. A new life. The future is open for us. A brand new life stands before us. And, and we look at that and we say, well, what do we do now? He says, well, get baptized, show everybody else what happened on the inside. That's what baptism is. Thank you, Quentin. You're a good guy. All right. In Acts chapter 2, verses 20, uh, 38, it became uh, the thing that Jesus was wanting them to do. The declaration was sort of like the entrance into the... Into into the, into the church it says and Peter said to them repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins who doesn't know what the word remission means here put your hand up if you have never heard that word remission before okay so the word remission means to pardon or it means to take away as though it never happened so just imagine if you'd done something say you, 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 you told a lie or you stole something from me. Say you stole something from me, Heike. And then you said, I'm sorry for that. Um, you're really sorry and you're repentant. And you said, I'll never steal from you again, Mark. I'm sorry for stealing from you. Then, if I was God, it would like, what? It's taken away. I don't have a, a memory of what you did. All I see is you're brand new. And you said, oh, but I stole from you. I'd say, you what? 
I stole, no, but that's taken away. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, I have removed your transgression from you. Some of you, you got no good forgetteries. You did some bad stuff, and you still remember the bad stuff you did. But you know what? Jesus has got a huge forgettery. He's got this forgettery that says, you know, if you come to me and I'll wash it with my blood, I can't remember it anymore. I can never hold it against you. As far as I'm concerned, it never happened. Whoa, that's kind of good. That's cool, isn't it? You see, you don't want to... If you, if you get a clean slate, if you could start your whole life again and it was brand new and clean, would you change what you were doing? Of course you would. There's some things that I definitely wouldn't do again if I had a brand new... Clean. You know what? But Jesus gives you a clean slate, brand new clean slate. So the remission of sins is that clean, clean beginning, a brand new clean... Be- and he says, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, Romans chapter... 5 verse 17 tells us what that gift of the Holy Spirit is. He says, For by the one man's offense death reigned, and by one, by one, much more they have received abundance of grace, and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life Jesus. So the gift that you're given by the Holy Spirit, the initial gift that you're given by the Holy Spirit as you enter into salvation, is the gift of righteousness. Righteousness is the ability to stand there right before God, not because of what you've done, because he made you clean. He made you right. He's not looking at you and saying, this is why I know what you're all about and I've seen that. No, he just says, you are covered with the righteousness of Jesus and he gives that as a gift. You cannot earn that. The Holy Spirit gives you that. It's like a coat that you wear that has a brand new look about it and it covers up all the stuff that's inside. So you put this cloak of righteousness on, you clothe yourself in it, and it covers all of the stuff that you had before. Beautiful gift. Who wants the gift of righteousness? comes from the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's the one that makes you clean. He's the one. He gives you that beautiful gift of righteousness. Thank you, Jesus. Receive that gift of righteousness. That's what he wants to give you. Baptism is a symbolic act, and it became symbolic of joining the church. So many, many churches these days say, well, if you want to become a member of the church, then you have to be baptized in the church. You have to be uh, tithing in the church. You have to be doing all these sort of things. And if you can do all these checklists of things like that, then you can become a member of the church. And so they have a baptismal service, and the baptismal service usually is, oh, this person is now becoming a member of our church, they're being baptized into the church. Now, that, that idea has come from the Scripture, from a, from a passage of the Scripture like in two, Acts 2.49. It says, and those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to the church. So this is at the, just at the day of Pentecost when they received the, the gift of the Holy Spirit's uh, uh, gifts through their lives, the tongues and interpretation and the, and, and the prophecies and stuff that came. And everybody was saying, well, what? And, and Peter stood up and he preached to them and he told them that the Holy Spirit was there now and they had to turn from their sin and, and escape this terrible generation. And 3,000 people decided to turn to Jesus on that day. That's 3,000. That's a lot of people. Have you seen 3,000 in, in a lump? That's a lot of people. 3,000 people decided to, and he said, well, turn from your sins, he says, and they were baptized so they went through the baptism process with 3,000 people and they were added to the church. So this whole idea of baptism really starts at the beginning of your entrance into the church of God. It's not something that you wait for 10 years to do later on after you get nailed by Pastor Noel about not being baptized. 
It's something, it's something that you do in response to following Jesus at the very beginning of your walk. Not halfway through your life because you get challenged by somebody who says, you've never been baptized, why don't you be baptized? Baptism is something that you do when you're beginning. Everybody say, you've got to have a good beginning. You've got to have a good beginning and baptism is part of that good beginning. Amen? And Jesus ordained the practice when he said, and, and remember he came to John and John was saying, you know, uh, you come and here to, for me to baptize you? He says, whoa, whoa, you just stop there. I am sinful, you are sinless. I am baptizing for the forgiveness of sins. You're coming to me and asking me to baptize. You don't have any sins. You are the spotless lamb that takes away the sins of the world. Why should I be baptized? You should be baptizing me. I'm the sinner. You are not the sinner. And Jesus, he says, no, you just just go with me. Flow with me. He's laying a pattern for you. He said, I'm starting a ministry now, so I'm going to get baptized into that ministry. And so I want you to baptize me into the ministry that I'm beginning to do, because that was the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. So John, because he's a good disciple, says, okay, you're the boss, I'll do it. But you know what? This seems wrong to me because I'm the one that needs to be baptized, not you. But Jesus did it for a reason, to lay a pattern for you to follow. He did it to show you that he wants you to be baptized. He wants you to begin your life and ministry following him just like he lived his ministry out before you. Are you with him? That's why he said, go therefore into the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And see, Jesus showed his attitude toward baptism when he said these words permit it to be this way for thus is this fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness he said i want to show them the way to go about it so when when do you get baptized i mean some churches baptize babies you know bring the baby in we we don't do that why don't we do that some some churches baptize infants Mum and dad bring the, the baby squawking and squiggling to the, to the minister. The minister takes a big bowl and drips a couple of drips of water on it and baptizes you in the name of the Father. And apparently now the child has just become a Christian. Well, that's the problem, you see, because that's not the stage of life when a, a decision is being made. The Bible says that you've got to have an awareness of guilt and an awareness of sin and an awareness of law and a, to accept the faith and the grace that the Holy Spirit... If, you can't even, if you're not even thinking words, if you're thinking feelings and, and your mind and your life is somewhere else, as a baby, you can't make a decision for Jesus, okay? So you, baptism is on the confession of your faith. Now, we see that in the, in the account of Philip. Now, Philip is having a, a little um, revival somewhere in Samaria. So there's lots and lots of people, you know, you know, getting saved. Listen to me now. Don't go to sleep. We haven't, we're only halfway there. We've got more go. Shake them up. So Philip's having a revival, and the Holy Spirit says, I want you to go from here to this place over here. And so he's taken over to here and he looks and there's a man sitting in the chariot. It's a, it's a V8 chariot. It's a big one. This is an important man. He's African, I think. He's, Af- he's Ethiopian. He's Ethiopian. So what's color, what color is he? 
Dark color. He's sitting there. And what color is Philip? He's probably... Uh, hey, he's, he's Asia. Yeah, so he's light color. He's got no problem talking to Africans, has he? No, no problem at all. He sit there and he watch. And this man is educated. Philip is not educated, but the man driving the, the V8 chariot is an educated man. He's reading the scrolls. He's reading the scrolls from Isaiah. But he doesn't understand it. Philip is an unlearned man. He's not an educated man, but he understands it because he knows Jesus. And he comes up and he says to the man, he says, what you reading there? And the guy says, I'm reading these really technical scrolls, but I don't understand what they're saying. And Philip says, let me explain to you. And then they talk about Jesus from the beginning right to the end. And this lovely African man decides to, I, what stops me from being baptized? Philip says, all right. They're just driving along in the V8. And they well, you want to get back? He pulls it up, turns the ignition off. There's some water there. They climb out and they go down into the water. That means they're climbing into the river. And Philip baptizes them into the river. And on the confession of his faith. So at what stage in life must you be baptized? At the stage where you understand where you are and where you need to be, you make a choice to turn to Jesus and you say, I want to express my faith in him. And when you're capable of doing that, then you're able to be baptized. If you're too young, if you're too small, if you're in your mother's arms being rocked, you cannot choose to do that. It's only when you understand what Jesus has done for you. So it's on the confession of your faith. You have to wait for you're an adult. You get baptized. Well, the, the crazy thing is, as soon as he came out of the water, he was gone. Philip was translated away from him. He disappeared. That would have spooked the guy out, wouldn't it? Woo! Philip, where are you? Did I leave? He'd gone. And he found himself. God, you know, you think that that's crazy? Let me tell you something about that. In quantum physics, they say it's possible, but you just don't know how they did it. You're only just catching up with God. You're only just catching up with God. God can do that sort of stuff. They know it can be done, but they just don't know how to do it yet. It's called time travel. It's all God. They say, we know, we can see that it's possible, but we just don't know how to do it. And God says, well, I made it all. I know how to do it. I'll show you. I did it right back here. You know, know, Jesus walks through a wall. How can you do that? That's all impossible. Obviously, the Bible's false because you can't walk through. And the quantum physics says it's really quite easy to do that. All you have to do is get everything moving together at the same time, and you can walk right. You put your hand right through that if you wanted to. We're only just catching up with God. And we've got a long way to catch up with God, eh? And when you get to eternity, you still won't catch up with Him. Every day will be something new. Every day will be something marvelous. Every day will be something extraordinary. Every day will be just amazing. You say, whoa, every day your mercies are new. Every day it's wonderful to be with you, Jesus. Every day you're blowing my mind. Oh, boy. God can't be contained in your head. He's held by faith and faith alone. You cannot understand that which made your mind because he made your mind. He's outside of your mind. Amazing, hey? 
Paul uses the idea. We know that it's going into the water, not sprinkling. The, the, the sprinkling started around about 300 AD, where they, you, you, you know, they got some. They would get them to kneel down and they'd sprinkle on their heads. And I, and I, and I suppose, Mum, if 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 you got saved just now, I mean, you've been saved for a long, long time. So this is just a picture. If you got saved just now, I said, well, let's go down to the Brisbane River and jump in. You might say, well, that's a bit cruel. <laughs> I might say, well. What, so shall we jump in a bath? You know, I might say, well, why don't I just pour some water over you? I might do that. If you say, well, that's not biblical. Well, I don't care. I don't care whether it's biblical or not. But that's, the, that's where it started, where there was infirm people, people who were dying in their beds, and they gave their heart to Jesus, and they, they wanted to baptize them. So they'd take water from the river, and they'd pour it over their head, and they'd say, that's where the sprinkling started. That sort of thing, because they were compassionate. They didn't want to take the dying person and kill him by putting him under the water. <laughs> so that was the notion behind the sprinkling. So you understand where the tradition of sprinkling comes from. It just comes from that sort of idea. Paul says, we're being buried with him in baptism. So there's this whole idea of going right down into the water. So this idea of death and dying, put it in the grave, is there, you know. And we're raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So there's coming out of the grave, a resurrection into a new life. You're coming out of something that's dead into something that's alive. You've left the old behind and you're walking into a new and living way. We're walking a new and living way which God has prepared for us. Amen? Amen. And God's desire for his church is signified in baptism. Because if you read this passage of Scripture in Ephesians, it really doesn't talk to you about baptism, but it talks about he wants the holy the church to be washed and cleaned. And so this idea of baptism with his word, baptism in water, is this idea of he wants to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the water through the word and to present her to himself a radiant church without stain. And the word stain is without a moral spot on you. Some of you have a mind that has a moral spot on you. Like you think back and you think, you know, there's a moral spot somewhere. The devil's been able to put a chain on your leg and, and put a ball on that chain. And so you walk around like this. You walk around through life like this. And so you can't go through life really fast because you've got a moral spot on your life, you know. Don't ask me too much about my history because there's a moral spot on my life. And look, I want to tell you something. Jesus breaks the chains of moral spots. He breaks those chains. I don't care what you did. Jesus makes you clean. And he takes away the ball and the chains so that you can walk freely. That's the wonderful grace. It's outrageous grace. It's just completely outrageous. You, you, it's completely unjust. It's, it has nothing to do with justice. It's completely wrong in sense of law. Law says there has to be a penalty paid. Law says you have to pay for your sin. Law says you have to be held accountable. Grace, outrageous grace says, I will beat my son up for you so that you can walk free as though you never did anything wrong. That's outrageous grace. Well, you think about it. If that, if that doesn't make you smile, I don't know what will. <laughs> it makes me smile. You know why? You can look at me and you can point the finger at me and say, Well, Mark, I know something about you. So does Jesus. And he died for me. And he makes me free. Turn to your neighbor and say, I've got no moral stain. Uh, say it a little bit louder so they hear you real good. I've got no moral stain. I've got no black spot on me. 
There's no wrinkle on my life. I'm free because Jesus made me free. I'm holy and blameless in him. Well, Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 to 10 tells us, and now that you yourself have are to put off all these. And this is the idea of being baptized. This is what you... Look at these things that he's written here. Leave them at the bottom of the water. You know, when you go in the bottom of the swimming pool, you know, and they've got to baptize you down there, just get this picture in your mind if you've not been baptized that you're going to leave all these things behind. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, swearing out of your mouth, cursing and cussing, whatever you do when you get angry. You've got to come up and you go, I'm not going to use that language anymore. I left that at the bottom of the pool. You better clean that pool real good because there's a lot of dirt down there. You're leaving it all behind. And since you have put off the old man with his deeds, you have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him he created. You come out and you say, give me that cloak of righteousness. I'm, going, I'm walking in this new way. I've got a new style now. You know what my new style is? I'm not, I, there's no fault in me. There's no blame in me. I am blameless now. Well, if you walk in blameless, don't do anything else to put blame there. Come on, if you've got a clean slate, don't go back playing the mud. If you've got a clean life, don't go back to the thing that makes you dirty again. If you've got a clean life, don't go back to the habit that, that makes you feel dirty again. If you've got a clean life, walk in the clean life. So I'm not going back there. That's the stuff that used to make me feel horrible. I'm not going back there again. I'm starting a new life. I'm staying in a new life. Hey, you might need to get a friend to help you to do that. That's why discipleship is a really good thing because you're not meant to do it by yourself. You're meant to help each other to do this. You're meant to teach each other and help each other to walk the clean life. Amen? You've got a clean skin now. You've got a clean heart now. You've got a new heart now. Walk in the new way. Amen? So the believer is making a public commitment to identify with Jesus. They're saying, just as Jesus died, so I'm dying. And just as Jesus rose from the dead, so I'm rising from the dead. That's what's happening at baptism. That's the wonderful thing that baptism says. And it says, now the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all, and I'm going to die for, to sin once and for all. I know that you're going to keep on sinning, and don't, I'm not going to say that you're going to live sinless, perfected life. I wish that you would live sinlessly perfect life, but I know that you will sin and that God's grace is abundantly provided for you to ask for forgiveness so that you can keep on going in life. But you're not going to do that habitually, okay? You can't do it habitually if you've got Jesus inside because he won't let you do it habitually because he's going to talk to you about that and make your life miserable until you cut it out, until you stop it. Do you understand that? When you start to walk with Jesus, you're walking into a terrible space because it's so close to God that he's going to deal with you every time you mess up. Yeah, you won't get away with it. Oh, no, 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 no. He will come and he will come with his discipline and he will bring hardship upon your life and make you feel the, feel the sting of his love because he cares about you, will not leave you there. He will move you on to higher ground. It's the fathers who abandon you you've got to worry about. The father who says, well, I'm not going to be around you. I'm not going to be anywhere near you. I'm not going to give you any guidance. I'm not going to give you any direction. I'm not going to give you any moral choice. I'm just going to abandon you because I'm interested in myself. I don't care about you. They're the other ones you've got to watch out for, but Jesus is not one of them. 
He's one of those guys who says, sticks to you. You step out of line and I'm going to correct you. You step out of line, I'm going to reprove you. You step out of line and I'm going to make sure you wear it because I love you. I'm going to stick with you and I'm going to stick with you right through to the end. I'm going to be there for you every time you make a move so that you can work holy and righteous before me. He's there for us. Amen. What a father we got. For all those who don't have a father, say, thank you, Jesus. He's my father. Amen. Oh, we want a father that stacks with us. We want a father who stays with us. We want a father who speaks to us, who's got the boldness to say it's wrong. You shouldn't do that. And that shouldn't be the domain of the women in the house. So leave it to the girls. Stand up, men. You're a man in God. Be the father. Be what God is to you. Well, that's free. You can have that one for free. <laughs> so baptism signifies this union with God. It says, as many have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. It's like we are connected. We're in the same space. We're living where Jesus lives. That, that's what, ba- oh, mate, let's get baptized. I want to get baptized all over again. You can't. You did it once. That's enough. If you haven't done it, you haven't done it. Everybody look and say, you haven't done it? Why haven't you done it? <laughs> Come talk to me later. We'll, we'll do it, hey? We'll have a baptismal service, hey? Baptism then brings us into fellowship with each other and with Jesus, and it makes, us, makes up fellowship, and this is where we are to be found, in fellowship. No, no, well, we've got to talk about fellowship, and we've got just uh, give me seven minutes, and we'll rush through fellowship, okay? We can't rush through it, really, but we're in the mode. The smallest fellowship that you can have is with you and Jesus, really. But if you're going to include somebody else, and it says where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So that's all it takes to have fellowship. It's you, someone else, and Jesus there, and you can have some beautiful fellowship in God. That's the smallest church, you know. What's the smallest church? You, someone else, and Jesus. That's the smallest church. The wonderful thing about fellowship is it means that I belong. Now, in a world that is broken down and where people are, are cast off and left to the side and there is no sense of belonging, fellowship is a beautiful thing because it says that you belong to a family. Turn around and say, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. You are my sister or my brother. You belong to us. You are part of this family. If you didn't think you were part of this family, let me tell you, you are part of this family. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers or foreigners, or, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You've been brought into the family. You're part of the family of God. And this is the scripture that Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, for this reason, I think uh, you talked about it, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth derives its name or gets its name. You know, the wonderful thing about it, it doesn't matter where you go in this world. You can go to Africa, you can go to China, you can go to New Zealand, you can go to, you can go to Sydney, you can go anywhere in this world and you can sit down with other believers and you immediately feel that there is a connect. Why? Because you're in the same family. You're meeting, even though they're new people, you've never met them before, you're meeting family. You are meeting brothers and sisters in the Lord. And there's a sense of union and a sense of connection. I, I, I preach to ministers every so often and, and talk to them about stuff. And I know they come from diverse denominations, different denominations, 
they have different beliefs to me. And I sit and listen to them, and they talk about the different... And I don't, I don't believe those things. But you know what they do believe? They believe that Jesus saved them from their sins. They believe that the Holy Spirit is the one that's leading them on. They believe that they're going to be with Jesus in heaven. And you know what? I believe that too. That makes them my kin. And I get along well with them. I don't sit there and say, well, I don't agree that you... And I don't even start arguing about detail. I'm just happy that I'm with a brother and sister in the Lord. Here we get so caught up on the differences. Stop looking at the differences. I just looked at my grandchildren and I saw my grandchildren. Just the other day I said to... Well, I said to you, Jen, said to the people who gather around me, every one of my grandchildren is completely different to the other. There's not one the same. Doesn't make them... Not my grandchildren. Daisy, I said, where did she come from? <laughs> Red hair, blue eyes. What? Darren? <laughs> What's going on? Red hair and blue eyes. Oh, Miller. Yeah, well, we know where Miller comes from. That's, that's Nathan and Drag. Wow, whoop, yeah, and he's feeling it now. God is so good. <laughs> it's a little Nathan running around and scared. And Nathan says, ah. I said, yes, I know. <laughs> I had one of those myself. You know, he says, this is terrible. I, I can't leave him anywhere. I said, it's called separation anxiety. I encountered it with you. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I think, God, you are so good. You are so good. You just hang on to it for so long and then you give it back to them. <laughs> you make them feel it all over. This is what you put your daddy through. Now you eat it up now. <laughs> You've got to learn the lesson. Eat it up, Nathan. It's coming at you. You're going to have another one because you're not going to learn the lessons. <laughs> I love it. I love it. We're in the family. We're in the family of God. It doesn't matter about the differences. It doesn't matter about the race. It doesn't matter about the status. It doesn't matter. We believe Jesus and we're all in the family. So this is what family responsibility is. It's let us consider how we can provoke or stir each other up to love and good deeds. We're meant to be having an influence on one another. It's not meant to be sitting there going, oh, you're here today, I'll just hope you go away sometime. No, we're meant to be having an influence on each other, moving us from where we are to where we need to be. So I see Fresnel, I say, Fresnel, I want to move you from where you are. I want to move you to where God wants you to be. You come along, I want to move you that way. Everyone in the church, I want to move you to some other place. I want to have an influence in your life and you want to have an influence in my life if we keep on moving ourselves toward God guess what this place will not contain what God could do amen it will not contain what God can do because you're moving each other towards good toward God what God wants that's the exciting he says and don't forsake the gathering yourself together as some do here some people think you know it's a nice Sunday well the beach it's getting warmer let's go to the beach Jesus says don't get stuck by that he says do not forsake when the body gets together don't you miss out we were talking about what was happening in our lives I think you know when the church was growing at Garden City when it was first uh, under you know the minister that was the Polish minister I can't well he's not I've got his name but I'm not going to mention his name it was it was moving we saw that church grow from 250 to about 1,500. I think a couple of years. Maybe five years. It just went boom, 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 like that. And you just stood. You got there early. You got there early because you couldn't get a seat if you didn't. And, and you just didn't know what was going to happen because God was going to do something. There was, there was, when the people got prayed for, something happened in their lives, something moved in their lives. And, and we would have all-night prayer meetings as young people. You know that 
thing is true. We would get down and we'd meet together and we'd start and we'd pray all night. We'd stay awake all night praying with everybody. Of course, you sleep too. <laughs> you know, hallelujah, Jesus. <laughs> and you go, deep intercession is very quiet, horizontal meditation. And then, oh, I should be praying, Lord. And somebody woke up just before you and started, hallelujah, Jesus. And you woke up. Uh, we'd have those once or two, twice a month or something like that. We'd go out and we'd walk around and get bitten by mosquitoes and they thought they were demons and we'd do, bind the demons of mosquitoes who's driving us mad now as we're praying in the woods, you know. We would pray. We would do crazy things. You know why? Because there were years that we were ecstatic and enthusiastic about God. I want to tell you something. Those days have not gone. They are just here now if you recognize that that's what you're meant to be doing with one another. Don't forsake the gathering of yourself together. You might miss out. You might just take the day off one day and then something amazing takes place and you say, oh, I missed out. Don't miss out. What does the family do? They pray together with supplication. What does the family do? The apostles' doctrine. They adhered to the apostles' doctrine. They were hearing, adhering to fellowship. They broke the bread together. They ate together. They prayed together. They had all things in common. They, they looked after one another. They looked after one another. If, if somebody had lots and nobody had something, so they would, the person with lots would give it to the person with nothing. That's the way it worked. And they cared about one another. They really cared about one another. They weren't living independent lives. They said, can I help you? And so they would bring their goods in and the church would start. It was like a welfare system. It was like Centrelink in church. You know, the sad thing is that, that the church has become more concerned about mud and bricks than about the individuals in it and the call that God wants us to do in terms of reaching the lost. God has not finished what he wants to do through our lives and he doesn't need a building to do it. He just needs individuals. And you know what? When the time is right, God will provide a building for us all to sit in. But the people who will sit in it will be the church and not the building. You understand that? I, I believe, I have no doubt, God spoke to me. He says, Mark, he showed me a building. He says, I can give you that tomorrow. And it was, I had the faith inside of me. To, that was, and I almost thought that was going to happen. Like I, but I know exactly where I was. And, I, and he said to me, don't stress about this. I can provide that in an instant for you. He is capable and able. Amen? So don't, don't bother thinking about it. Don't try and strive at it. Jesus can do it without you even worrying about it. He can put $120 in somebody's bank account before they've even asked for it to come to them. He can do something amazing like that. Amen? So what else do they do? They together? Daily together. Daily in the temple. And every house. Did, oh, that was a strange thing. We do it once a week. On the first day of the week, they met together. These guys were so fanatical, they met daily. Now, I'd like to do that, but I don't think that I could at the moment. You know, I'd like to do that, but... You know, I've got stuff that I'm involved with, but we meet as much as we can and we connect. We can connect together daily if you want to. We have a thing called a phone. We have a thing called internet. It's called email. And you know what? If you're feeling alone, don't wait for somebody else to come and give you a call. If you want to be part of the, the, the movement forward, 
tie it on to somebody else. Get on the internet, find that number and say, hey, listen, I'm just sitting here and I thought I'd just like to share with you a scripture that God laid on my heart and, and, and tell them that you're praying for them. You be part of the positive, not part of the, oh, no one's praying for me, no one's asking me, no one's helping me, no one's... Forget yourself, you are not the middle! You become part of the solution, part onto somebody else, and then somebody will part onto you one day. You'll get out of your, you'll be in misery, and somebody will come up and say, bing, a thing will go off, and then you'll look under there and says, we're praying for you right now. Would you like to come out for coffee on such and such? A, and it's like, whoo, how did that happen? It's because you stop looking at yourself. Start looking at him and get focused on him. He's the center of all things. Amen? So fellowship is really good. What does fellowship do? It has that communion feast that we, we have once a month here. What does the fellowship do? It, it, is, uh, it gives to others. On the first day of the week, they would bring their offerings. I don't know how they brought their offerings, but they, they would bring their offerings, and I suppose they put them in a box, something like that. Some churches send the bag around. We don't send the bag around. You noticed that, didn't you? We could, we, can we start doing that? Do, do want, <laughs> I can buy the bags. Some of you are not convinced. But I'll tell you something now. <laughs> we don't need to do that to pay the bills. Jesus already honors us and he always helps us. And every time we have need, we have what we need because he is faithful. He will never see us without. Amen? What does family do? Well, really, what family does is love. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. It says, uh, if anyone says, I love God but hates his brother, he's a liar. So we know that love is central to this family. And this is what it says, and this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must also love his brother also. You know, so this is love aspect. It's part of what we have to do. That's why... We're involved with LSM. That's why we're Life Skills Ministries. That's why we do work amongst the homeless. That's why we look after people who, who are marginalized. That's why we care about refugees. That's why we work with people who are broken. Why do we do that? Because the Christian ethic is to reach out with love. It's not to sit there and, and create a moment whereby we all go, and we have a wonderful time on Sunday. It's to reach out with practical hands, helping hands, and do something for those who have broken them. That's what we do. Why do we do that? Because that's the essence and the core of being part of this family. That's what it's about. It's not about what we have, the event, and how we make it zip here, get the drummer really going hard, blow the smoke in here, whoosh, and the smoke comes into the room and go, woohoo! And we all go, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a mosh pit at the front. We all jump around, the kids jump around together, and it's all really good. We're having a great time, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as soon as the music stops and the smoke screen stops, you're going to have problems with your life. Listen, this is not about you. This is about him. And what's he worried about? He's worried about the broken. He's worried about the lame. He's worried about those who are chained up. He's worried about the people who are oppressed. He's worried about the chains of affliction. He's worried about all those who are lost and going to hell. And he only says, come with me. Let's do something about it. And then he's calling us as a family. He says, come on, family. Let's make a difference. You've been brought to this place for such a time as this. You didn't, you're not breathing air just because you're here to get what you want out of life. You're breathing air so you can help somebody else. That's what it's about. We're told in the Bible, a new commandment I give unto you, 
that you love one another as I have loved. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continued debt to love one another. Whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. And finally he says, and now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Yeah, this is family. This is fellowship. The core of fellowship is love. Turn to your neighbor and say, you know what? This is awkward for me. I love you. Can't do it. Ah, yeah, know what you did with your eyes. I saw what you did with your eyes. I saw what you did with your eyes. Nah, 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 nah. Yeah, this is what you did. He said, this is awkward for me, but I love you. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. You know, I don't want you to look away there. I want you to look into the iris of the other person, right into the pupil of the other person and say, you know what, mum? I love you. You love me? Yes, she loves me too. Woo! That's the point. The point is, get off your horse. It's not about what you're feeling, whether you're feeling uncomfortable about this or not. It's about the love. The bad, it's the love. You know why? You know, if you want people to come to church, when they come to church, you know what they've got to feel? Come here, John. You're not mad, a huggy man. Thank you, Jesus, for John. I mean, I wouldn't know what to do if John wasn't here. I love John. Do you love John? You make sure you give him a hug when you see him next, hey? Oh, wow. You're my brother. Well, that's made me cry. I just got all teared up about that. That's, a, that's like good emotions. Everybody stand up. Baptism. If you've never been baptized, come and see me. We're going to have a baptismal service like you won't believe. It's time to move forward. Amen? Amen. So if you've never been baptized, come and see me. Or see, see Pastor Noel or see Liz or see, see um, Cheryl or David. But you say, say, I want to get baptized. And we'll have a baptismal service coming up shortly. I want you to hold hands now. I want you to connect with people around you. Hold hands. Close your eyes now. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you right now and I ask that you take this fellowship, build it together with cords that cannot be broken. Bind our hearts together so that we, together with you, can achieve your great purpose. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be the very best for you because you are the center of all things. We give you the praise. We give you the glory for salvation comes from you, Jesus. We love you and we love one another in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.